0: Here's what's ahead of us today on Abounding Grace.
1: Soak in the grace of God game. That's the true motivation for carrying on. And the true motivation for taking the next step. The true motivation of serving God is the grace of God. The love of God. The order of ministry is always God first. What he has done for us. And what do we do but respond? And every part of our worship life is in response to him. Response to his goodness. As we understand the goodness of God as we understand the victories of God, as we understand the faithfulness of God, listen, it will prompt us to respond. And you know how we're going to respond? In love, in grace, in victory, in faithfulness.
0: This is amazing grace. sometimes says no as he did to david not because he did anything wrong but because god had another plan a better plan you can be sure god will do this in your life too welcome to abounding grace we'll meet you in second samuel chapter 7. god said no to david's desire to build the temple he did so not because there was some sin in david's life but because god had a better plan and saying no to david would prove to be even more loving than saying yes. david's response to god's no is very instructive. here's ed taylor. god brings chastisement
1: into life. he he brings correction And he says in verse 14, you know, there's going to be chastisement. There's going to be blows. But when God chastises his kids, he does it in love. When any time God brings about chastisement or what we might refer to today as discipline, he's always wanting to solve something in in the believer's life. When you experience chastisement, like the, he, the author to the Hebrews, nobody loves to be chastised. Our fathers, they disciplined us. Uh, we might have referred to it, you know, when our fathers did it wrong, or as a dad, I've done it wrong. I've punished rather than disciplined, because that's the heart of God. With his kids, he disciplines. When God brings chastisement to an unbeliever, it's punishment. It is to teach them that they are living against the precepts of God. For kids, for us as kids, it's out of love to bring a remedy into our lives so that we might rejoice and grow. When God says no, it's just as powerful as God saying yes. That's his will for our lives. When he opens a door, it's glorious. And when he closes a door, it's just as glorious. Albeit perhaps painful. And the same with discipline. When God says no, and here with David, when God says no, I want you to see he softens it. He softens it. He takes the no and he softens it, softens it here with David with encouraging blessings. Because I'm sure this was a discouraging word. What do you mean I'm not going to build? I just want to do something good for you, Lord. I just want to do something good for you. What do you mean? You're not going to let me do something good for you? The Lord says no. But while you're thinking about that, I want you to think of how good I've been to you. I want you to think about how gracious I've been to you. I want you to think about when I first met you as a kid, as a shepherd. I want you to think about what I've done for you. I want you to think about right now in your condition why you can even think about uh, building a temple is because I've given you peace from your enemies. I love you. I care for you. But you're not gonna build me a temple. I love you and I care for you. But this isn't gonna happen. Don't ever confuse the difficult words with a lack of love. Truly difficult words often come because of love itself. Somebody shares something hard with you and you get kind of bent out of shape and you get, rubs your flesh a little bit and you get a little defensive. and When you get through it and you look back, you're just like, you're gonna man, thank you for having enough courage to tell me what you need to tell me. Can you imagine how much courage it took to, right? You know, God doesn't need any courage here. He's just gonna tell Nathan, you messed up, go take care of it. Don't you encourage him. Why don't you ask me? I would've told you this and you wouldn't look so bad. And it is hard to deliver hard, you know. You, you just go tell David, can't build me a house. But you tell him, I'm going to build him a house. I love him. He, he's not in the right tune with me right now, but he will be. And just remind him how good I've been to him. Now notice David's response. Then the king David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, who am I, O Lord? God. What's my house that you brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord. Verse 19. Uh, that you have also spoken to your servant's house... Uh, of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these things to make your servant know them. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. There's none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears." And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make for himself a name and to do for you great and awesome deeds for your land before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. Verse 24. For you have made your people your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God... The word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever. Do as you have said. Let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. Let the house of your servant David be established before you. Verse 27. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever before you. And you, O Lord God, have spoken it when with your blessing let the house of your servant be blessed forever. You know what I call this? Receiving the grace of God graciously. I mean, this is like it, this is one of the sweetest interactions in all of the scripture. And it's a rebuke of some sort. God, I wanna do something great for you. And God says, no, no. I'm gonna do something great for you. And David doesn't return, you know how we are. David doesn't return I go, wait a minute, no, no, no. I'm gonna do something greater for you, God. And then God goes, no, you're not gonna to top me. And David, well, I'm gonna try, because I'm the king. And then God just says, no, you're not, You know, he doesn't do that. David submits himself to this no. This is not an easy situation. It's a very gracious response, but it's not an easy thing to receive no when you want to say, hear a yes. I mean, have you never been there? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're just wanting to hear a yes from the Lord, and God says, no. I love you anyway. You're not going to do this. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to establish you. I've got greater plans than just a temporary building for you. I've got an eternal plan for you. I've got something far greater for you. And then David's response is, oh, Lord, you're so right. You saved me. You changed. Your will for my life is better than my any thinking I could think with my buddy Nathan. I'm glad I was thinking good things. I'm glad you're not rebuking me from some sinful decision. And he just like, you're so good. You're God. Everybody's going to know you're God. You're going to reveal that to them. Who am I, Lord? You've been so gracious to me. Who am I? What more can I say to you? You know me. You love me. I love you. Do it. I'm blessed by you. I'm blessed to be on this side of you, Lord. I'm blessed to be a part of what you want to do. I want to be a part of it. David receives God's grace so graciously. He he says back to God, you're doing it for your word's sake. You're doing it for your reputation. You did it to bring you glory. And that's why God chooses the unlikely. That's why God uses us. That's why we're involved in what God's doing on the earth today. So it's for his word's sake. It's for him to show the world that he keeps his promises. It's for him to show you that he is powerful and can use you. God God does things that are completely humanly unexplainable so that he gets all the glory and that we respond to grace graciously he does the opposite of what the world does he does the opposite of what you and i do probably do we get something valuable we protect it we put it in a safe we put it in a vault Uh, we lock it up put an alarm on it you know if you've you've just received a special diamond ring or a special piece of jewelry you, you don't throw it in a paper bag up on the top of the refrigerator do you you're just like, oh yeah, where, where, where's that new gift you gave? me? Well, I, you know, it's up in an old stinky King Supers bag up somewhere up there in the, in, in the top of the refrigerator. No, we don't do that. What do we do? We take something valuable and we try to find something more valuable and we take care of it. We polish it. We clean it. But the Lord does the opposite. The Bible says this, that God takes his treasure, the gospel, and puts it where? Earthen vessels pots of clay, dust, dirt. He, he takes what's so valuable to him, the gospel of Jesus, the good news that your sins can be forgiven, the declaration that there is freedom available to you, That you can hang out with spiritual people, talking about spiritual things, and be encouraged in your life, and be taken from one level to the next level, to be guaranteed eternity, to have the weight of your sin and shame removed, to know that your sins are forgiven, to know that you're going to heaven, to know that what you do in the Lord is not in vain, it's not empty, it's not wasted, that your life on earth matters, not just now, for all of eternity. He takes that And he entrusted to people like me and you. A clay. A clay. You're just a clay pot. Or in some cases, you might be just a crackpot. You know your life. We don't live with you. But some people do live with you. And they see how cracked you are. They see all of your flaws. They see the weaknesses of your humanity. They see the mistakes that you make. The things that come out of your mouth the bad attitudes you carry around, you're just a clay pot. What makes you valuable, what makes you precious, is actually not you at all. It's the value that God placed upon you by the blood of his son Jesus Christ. God does the opposite of what man would expect. Why? That's what David's saying. David's saying the same exact thing before the fullness of the gospel has ever been revealed. It's thousands of years in the future that Jesus Christ will come at at the time of David right now. Before the fullness of the gospel has ever been revealed, David's saying, you know what, Lord? This is all for you. You do whatever you need to do that'll bring you glory. That'll bring you honor. We make a great mistake when we place too much emphasis on the vessels than we do on the treasure we make a big mistake when we lean too much on our own understanding our own flesh god uses earthen vessels he saves earthen vessels he redeems earthen vessels and if we're not careful we'll give too much time and attention to the vessel what would that have looked like in david's life david would have said no no no, i'm building you a house nathan you're wrong the first counsel you gave me was right no this one uh, how, how why would god tell me not to do something for him But instead, David was in tune, ready for this message. He was ready for a no from the Lord. So much so that he responded with one of the most sweetest, grace-filled, love-filled expression of relationship with God in all of the scriptures. You would do well to be meditating on this this week. It's one of those hidden gems in the scriptures. If you don't spend time reading through the whole scriptures, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. It's hard to believe that verses 18 through 29 is a response to God saying no to something good. But when you're in tune, you have that abiding relationship with the Lord. Even the no's are so sweet, reminding you of the grace of God. You know, Lord, I don't have to do anything. You've done it all. I don't have to do anything to prove my love for you. I don't have to do anything to... And he doesn't even rebuke him about his cedar house. He doesn't say anything, Oh, David, you know, I can't believe you're in a cedar. He doesn't even rebuke him. that. There's nothing like that. This is a sweet exchange for them to grow together in his relationship. And it's good, as we head out here today, For you to make an effort in the busyness of life and the difficulty of life and the stress of life and the pressure of life and the bills and the kids and the medical and the car and the flat tire and the layoff notices. Listen, that's life. It's gonna touch all of us. Some of us are gonna experience more pain than others, but pain is a part of the process here on earth. It's gonna be difficult. Our kids are gonna go sideways. Things are gonna happen in the world. We're gonna have great loss, deep grief, that's going to happen to all of us. And knowing that ahead of time, it will do well for you and I to be focused, intentional, and purposefully soaking in the love and the grace of God, especially when we have quiet times, especially when we have times of peace. Even if your times of peace are the first 10 minutes that you get up in the morning, that you're able to make it up before everyone else did, and you just got 10 minutes of peace, the house is quiet. It's just you and the Lord. You don't turn on any lights and you tip-toe so you don't wake anybody up. You just want 10 minutes with the Lord. You're, you have, it's so quiet in there that the woodpecker hasn't even come to bang. And you know, you're like, what are you laughing at? We got a woodpecker at our house. Like, why did they pick? Why is my front porch home to all the crazy birds in Colorado? We had all these, we had that season of birds where they would put their nest in, like, we didn't even charge them rent. We didn't charge them a mortgage. I didn't go out every morning and go, dude, this is my house. You're like, you're taking my spot. But God obviously gave it to them. They put their little nests up there year after year. And every time we'd walk out, they would dive bomb on us. Like, they owned it. This is not, I just like, this isn't your house. So finally, they left. I just need to get this out, just so you know. <laughs> they left. Those birds are gone. This year, when we came back from Israel, we go in and take care of things and get everything and we're walking in and I notice on the ground in front of my, uh, my, um, my front door, these chips of wood. And I don't know what they are, I don't pay attention to them, I, I don't, it doesn't matter to me, chips of wood, whatever. It could be something Project Marie's doing or something, I don't know. But later, we hear, we run to the door, there's nobody there. This happened before we left. I mean, seriously, like somebody's knocking on the door and running away. But the way our house is set up, you're not going to get away with that. Uh, we know. We'll find you. Don't try it. We know. <laughs> we'll get out before you're gone, and, and it ain't going to happen. You're just not going to have it. So we ran out. Kate, and Caitlin and I did that before we left. And now coming back, I'm like, what is going on? And then we walk out, and we're putting it all together. And we're like, oh, my gosh. We got woodpeckers. So there are times where I want my 10 minutes in the morning and the woodpecker messes with me. Now we've caught him. We know him. We finally caught him because this is a long time now. We've caught him. And he's huge and you don't wanna mess with him because he might peck your eyes out or something. I don't, I don't wanna mess with him, but you, know, you want that quiet time. You don't want the birds buzzing. You don't want the dogs barking. You don't want the woodpeckers destroying your house like they own the place. And so we've just been praying that the Lord would just like, get him out because you can't do anything else. And then I'm gonna invite him in maybe for tea or something and try to talk with him. You know, like, go somewhere else. So, thank you for listening. (laughs) But in quiet times, even that first 10 minutes in the morning, when it's just the most peace you're going to get all day, use it unto the Lord. Soak in the grace of God. Soak in. You know, you you remember Jesus even, uh, as we were all chuckling about my woodpecker problem. I'm not chuckling, but while you guys are all chuckling about my woodpecker problem, it is a problem by the way but you know what god's providing for that dumb woodpecker what did jesus say look at the birds of the air they're not worried he's not like worried about me he doesn't care about me he thinks he's going to find what he's looking for but god takes care of that dumb woodpecker and those dive bombing birds and those barking dogs and those whatever. And God takes care of you. And it would do well for us to just meditate on the goodness of God. To just say, you know Lord, just like you take care of the birds of the air, you take care of me. You're so good to me. You found me when I was so rebellious against you. And now David, I found you as a shepherd. Ed, I found you as a drunk. And I found you as a drunk, your life was a mess. Your family was in disarray. Your wife was ready to divorce you. And I picked you. I picked you up. I took you as you were. I gave you the forgiveness of sin through my son Jesus Christ. I rescued you. I redeemed you. Ed, don't forget, you're the man. I made you. You're the man. I made you that man. I taught you how to be a man. God can say, I taught you how to be a dad. I taught you how to be a son. I start to think of all the things that God has done to me. And he's not even, I couldn't even exhaust the things that God has done and continues to do in my life. And when I begin to think about that, then even the nose of God become gracious in my life. It's like, God, you're so good to me. You put so many wonderful people into my life. You've done so many great things. But you know, we could easily respond, but you know, Lord, it hurts. Yeah, it does hurt, and God, you're so good. And I could respond, but God, you allowed this, and you're allowing this, but no, that won't help me. What will help me is to remember the grace of God to remember where I came from to remember like David I was a shepherd boy I remember I was a shepherd boy and you didn't pick any of my brothers you picked me you did this work in me and God you're so good because you didn't do it for me you did it for you so that your name would be glorified so that you would receive all the attention so that I'll just be a vessel I'll just be used by you and I'm going to serve you why because I love you Like Paul said, I'm constrained by love. I'm compelled by your love, Lord. And you get my devotion. And you get my desire. David could have said at this point in life, but Lord, seven years I ran from Saul. I wasn't right. But he doesn't do that. He says, Lord, you're so good. You don't want me to build a house? Man, you're going to build me a house? Thank you. I don't deserve that house. Not only are you going to build me a house now, but you're going to establish my descendancy forever? I don't deserve that. It made, I'm sure, at this moment in time, made the seven years, seven years running from King Saul, all the years he ran from King Saul, made it seem like nothing in the love of God. Reminds me of Jacob when he got ripped off by Laban. Remember, he worked those seven years, and it seemed like nothing to him because he loved. Soak in the grace of God game. That's the true motivation for carrying on. And the true motivation for taking the next step. The true motivation of serving God is the grace of God. The love of God. The order of ministry is always God first. What he has done for us. And what do we do but respond. And every part of our worship life is in response to him. Response to his goodness. As we understand the goodness of God. As we understand the victories of God. As we understand the faithfulness of God. Listen, it will prompt us to respond. And you know how we're going to respond? In love, in grace, in victory, in faithfulness. Remember this, the true order is always God first. If you don't have God first, you're going to be miserable. You're not going to like the nose of God. You're not going to hear his future plan for you. You're going to forget about heaven. You're going to focus on the difficulty. You're going to think about the hardships. And you're going to forget that we're just pilgrims passing through, the Bible says that our lives are just like a vapor, that eternity, our lives compared to eternity isn't even a blip that we could see on the radar screen. And that's where David is. He responds graciously to the grace of
0: God. And I encourage you to do the same. You've been listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace and a message called Receiving God's Grace Graciously. Hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org. Ed, you pointed out today that God often says no to us, even when our motive is to do something great for Him. Can you think of an example in your life that you received a no and later on down the road could see why God did that?
1: You know, there's a lot of times in my life where I look back and see that the no's of God were so good for me now, even though then I didn't like them. Uh, They were difficult because there's something in us that that says, an open door is definitely from the Lord. Yahoo, it's a great, let's go forward. But a closed door is not from the Lord. But we learn in the scriptures that God uses both open and closed doors. He, he uses the instruction to go forward, and he also uses the instruction to go to stop. I, I like what Pastor Skip Heitzig has shared with us. He says from the Bible, the steps of a good man are ordered from the Lord. And then he says, and also the stops. And it's the good steps forward and also the stops. And, you know, one real quick story is that I'm in Aurora today in Aurora, Colorado, pastoring this wonderful fellowship because of a closed door. And we were on our way to another city. Uh, we were going to rent a home and, and step into God's will for our lives. And God's will for our lives was a closed door, which sent us back to California, regrouped, weighed on the Lord, and he sent us to Aurora. And, man, I am so grateful for that closed door today.
0: Here in the month of May, we've picked out an excellent book written by Roy Heshen called The Calvary Road. In it, he teaches that it's through brokenness, humility, and confession that we can prepare our hearts to receive the fullness God wants for us. If you long for revival and power in your life, this is a must-read. And we'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Don't miss our next study with Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow on Abounding Grace. And may God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace.